Most Bible prophecy experts seem to believe that the next major prophetic war in the Middle East is likely to be what the Bible calls the War of Gog and Magog, which will feature a Russian-led attack on Israel. But our guest on this program believes otherwise. He believes the next war prophesied in the end-time Bible prophecy is going to be the war described in Psalm 83. Stay tuned for a fascinating discussion of the dangerous situation facing Israel in the Middle East. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I are delighted to have as our special guest a well-known Bible prophecy expert and writer named Bill Solace, who resides in California. Bill, welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Well, David, Nathan, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on in the studio on one of my favorite Christian TV shows, to be with both of you fine Bible prophecy teachers. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. You know, folks, Bill burst onto the Bible prophecy scene in 2008 with a very insightful book called Israelistine. I endorsed it immediately because I felt it provided a missing link in end-time Bible prophecy. However, others pounced on it, criticizing it heavily. Bill has now come out with a new follow-up book called Psalm 83, The Missing Prophecy Revealed. In this book, he responds to the criticisms of the thesis in his first book. So, Bill, what's it like to be in the middle of a big controversy? Well, um, you know, I, when I wrote the book, I expected this could happen because it was new ground. I had to uh, do a lot, about seven years of research to try to make sure that, uh, wow. that I uh, covered all the bases. Um, and 2, uh, two Peter one twenty, it says that no prophecy is uh, subject to individual interpretation. So, uh, when these uh, opposing arguments came forward, I considered them very carefully and deliberated over them very prayerfully to make sure that uh, I was had the right thesis on Psalm 83. And uh, so my pencil was sharpened, and I do believe, I really do believe, this is a prophecy for our time. Well, there's a verse about iron striking against iron, you know, and, and it makes you sharper, right? Absolutely. You know, when we look through at prophecy these days, we, we do look through a glass dimly. And, you know, the generation that experiences that prophecy we the generation that can give us the exact details yes. and line them up with Scripture. But we are so close to, I think, the Psalm 83 prophecy of some of the others that we can get some pretty good clues as to what's going to happen, especially through the Scriptures and we watch the geopolitical events unfolding. And I think we are about ready to see something break wide open in the Middle East. Well, before we get into that, then, maybe you can give us a little summary of your new book. Tell us what the thesis is of this new book, Psalm 83, The Missing Prophecy Revealed. Absolutely. Psalm 83 is an ancient prophecy written by Asaph 3,000 years ago uh, at a time when Israel was experiencing uh, unprecedented conditions, uh, blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. They were people in their land. They were winning wars. They were talking about building their temple. They had their anointed King David. And then Asaph gets this prophecy that is nothing short of a a, a genocidal attempt of the chosen people and a confiscation of the promised land. It was a prophecy very specific about the ten populations that would confederate one day to come against Israel, to destroy Israel, that has not found fulfillment yet. And so when we try to understand who they are today, we find out that they are Israel's enemies that share common borders with Israel, including the terrorist populations inside of those Arab countries. And a very timely prophecy. There's a, there's a Hezbollah and Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood now. Very concerning. May have been written 3,000 years ago in this prophecy. 
So basically, what you what you did in in your first book here, Israelstein, is you said that Psalm eighty three is more than just what most people think of it as an imprecatory prayer. Right. And you said, no, it is a prophecy concerning the end times, and it concerns a war that's going to take place between Israel and the immediately surrounding nations that have a common border, the inner ring, as you often refer to them, right? Yep. And that it is different from the war of Gog and Magog and Ezekiel, which is one of an outer ring. And you know, that's one of the reasons I endorsed the book immediately. I always felt like that there would be a war between Israel and the uh, inner ring, and that that would ultimately lead to the war of Gog and Magog. I always believed that, and I taught that and wrote about it, but I never tied it to Psalm 83. When you came and tied it to Psalm 83, it suddenly clicked, and I said, yeah, that's it. That's the reason that that inner circle is not mentioned in the war of Gog and Magog when it's an outer circle. And you think, well, why not the nations next to Israel? Well, they've already been taken care of. Is that your basic thesis? That is the thesis of the book, and 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 summarily, and I do, I coined the term inner circle for those Arab countries that share common borders with Israel and the terrorist populations within that are not listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's right. And then I coined the term outer ring for that peripheral group that comes, I believe, in a prophecy subsequent to, uh, upon an Israel that's dwelling securely, which at this you point see, is I, not. I think, mm-hmm. I, I think your uh, theory completely answers the question of why is it that in the war of Gog and Magog none of that inner circle is mentioned? It's just nations that do not have a common border with Israel. Why wouldn't the ones that uh, have a common border be included? And I think you've come up with the solution to that. Well, well, I think they were intentionally omitted because they're not involved. Yeah. And it's not like Ezekiel, when he wrote Ezekiel 38, was not familiar with the populations of Psalm 83, the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites, etc., Matter of fact, in one way or another, he wrote about all 10 populations in Psalm 83 89 times in his 48 chapters, but he did not include them once in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And, and we've got so many other differences between Ezekiel 38 and Psalm 83. There's uh, different purposes between the battles. For instance, Psalm 83, they come together, they want to form crafty council, they want to take the pastors of God for their possession. In other words, they want one more Arab state if this was to find fulfillment today, and they want to call it Palestine. Mm Russia is coming after great plunder and great booty. Also, there's different defeats. We're told in Ezekiel 38, verses 16 through Ezekiel 39, 6, that it's the Lord, not the Israeli Defense Forces, not America, but the Lord clearly is stopping divinely with fire and hailstone. That's and war of Gog and Magog. Of Gog and Magog. The Lord stops that. But yeah. in Ezekiel 30, uh, Psalm 83, we find that the Israeli Defense Forces are being called upon to defeat the Arab enemies around them. And I point out that the Israeli Defense Forces today exist in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Um, so different populations. Those Ezekiel 38 and 39 countries have to come through the inner circle lands to even get to Israel. Some people try to lump them into Ezekiel 38, 6, where they say there's many peoples with thee. But that's really quite a stretch. You know, he, could have, he was very specific about Meshach yes. and Tubal yeah. and everybody listed. You think he certainly would have thrown in the Philistines and the Edomites. And one other and point you made in the original book is, is the timing of uh, Psalm 83. You put it before Gog and Magog. Yeah, and I think that's pretty easy to understand because one of the, the descriptions we're given in Ezekiel 38 verses 8 through 13 
several very important things to identify to see if that Israel today even exists. Are they dwelling securely in the midst of the land in the latter days upon the mountains of Israel without walls, bars, nor gates in receipt of this great plunder and booty? Because that's the very thing that Russia covets, yes. forms this coalition to come after. And, you know, David, I, you and I have had this discussion. Israel is not dwelling securely presently <laughs> no. without walls, nor bars, nor gates. They're building a 450-mile wall right now. Yeah, absolutely. So they're not dwelling securely. They've got checkpoints uh, and, and security gates throughout Israel. Um, and, and so at this point in time, I don't see that, that that Israel exists. Contrary to a lot of people think that the, the Hebrew words Yeshav V'tach, dwelling securely, means a, a confidence to, on their own ability to defend themselves militarily. But when you really look at the Hebrew words and their biblical uses in the past with precedent, you find that it's really a security that is accomplished militarily through a defeat. Mm-hmm. And I think in Ezekiel 28, we find out how that happens. It says that Israel will dwell securely. This is around verses 24 through 26 in Ezekiel 28. When those around Israel, that share common borders with Israel, that despise Israel, have judgments executed upon them, then they shall dwell securely. You shall okay, so you've given us a good summary now, Psalm 83, what was in your original book. What we're going to do is take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to start hitting you with the criticisms that people have made and see how you respond to them. Okay? Great. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our interview of Bill Solis from California. Bill is a Bible prophecy teacher and writer and he is here to discuss with us his newest book entitled Psalm 83, The Missing Prophecy Revealed. Bill, before we get into your book, can you tell us a little about your background? How did you get into Bible prophecy and a little about your ministry? Absolutely. Uh, My background was I became a Christian in 1990 while attending a Chuck Missler Bible study on the book of Revelation. (laughs) Really? Yeah, and I thought, well, my goodness, God really knows the end from the beginning. (laughs) No one else can do that. Matter of fact, Isaiah 46, uh, verses 9 through 10 is one of my favorite passages that found the ministry upon that is that. Remember the former things of old. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Uh, and, and the also, God of prophecy. Yeah, God of prophecy, the only one. And mm-hmm. he authenticates this. And this is how I, I open my radio show. Uh, uh, welcome to uh, Prophecy uh, Update, where we intend to authenticate the sovereignty of God through Bible prophecy by telling you what Bible prophecy has to say about these last days. But we don't leave it there. We get into the fact that in Revelation 19.10, it's a, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so you were saved by studying prophecy. You decided to devote your life to teaching Bible prophecy? Well, I just be, I became obsessed with it. When I get into something, mm-hmm. I become obsessed, Nathan. <laughs> so I had a mortgage Uh-oh. business at the time. Okay. And so every couple hours, uh, I'd get up early, a couple hours study before I'd go to work. And then through time, I took a lot of notes. And people encouraged me to start turning those notes into chapters. And then I'll, next thing you know, I'm, I'm issuing books, becoming an author, speaking. So you do speak and, and go to speaking engagements? I speak at conferences and churches and do a lot of TV and radio and have my own radio show as well. Mm-hmm. Which I've so, been on. It's a great show. Yes, and David and you have well, as well both been on the program. Can you look at the camera and tell folks how they can get in touch with your ministry? Absolutely. Prophecydepot.com. Like Home Depot, it's prophecydepot.com. <laughs> Try to keep it simple. One of those complicated ones, you'll never find it. But prophecydepot.com. We have a newsletter that you can subscribe to there, and I try to respond to emails and comments. Uh, I'm a little slow on occasion, but please send me your comments. And then uh, all of my teaching materials are available there for resources as well, lots of articles and all my media shows and things like that. Okay, Bill, well, let's uh, jump into the criticisms now that have been made of your theory concerning uh, Psalm 83. And uh, one of them 
is that Psalm 83 is simply what is called an imprecatory prayer. That is a uh, a prayer, you know, of, of uh, defeat upon the enemies of Israel. And that it is simply a lament that there's nothing more and has nothing to do with prophecy. It is not a prophecy. Right. Yeah, and I think in part it is an imprecatory prayer. It is an invocation to, to curse those that would curse Israel. But we also find out that Asaph who wrote this prayer is a prophet. Most people don't know that. They think of him as the worship leader of David, yeah. but not as a prophet. Well, um, Hezekiah realized he was a prophet in Second Chronicles twenty nine thirty. He commanded the Levites to sing praises that were written by David and Asaph the seer. The Hebrew word is chozah, meaning a beholder of vision, a prophet. He was. He wrote twelve psalms, Psalm eighty seventy three through Psalm eighty three, and also Psalm fifty. Psalm eighty three is the most prophetic of all of them as a seer, and so he clearly was a prophet, like Jeremiah and Isaiah. But the other reasons I, I think it's quite clear that it's not an impre- just simply an imprecatory prayer. As we've been very, very specific details in the prophecy, there's a confederacy that forms a plan mm-hmm. that comes together to with a goal uh, to destroy Israel, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. And we're told that they want to take the pastures of God for themselves as a possession. They, they want the land, they want the promised land, destroy the chosen people. But when you start looking at the confederacy also, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a contemporary federacy that comes together with a plan. It's not a chronological ordering of Israel's ancient enemies, which some people try to suggest it is. And, and he lists ten enemies, but there, Israel had many more enemies besides yes. these guys. What's they the were, contemporary, for folks who aren't familiar with the geography around Israel, because you keep saying the contemporary enemies, the war is going to be with the surrounding nations. What are those surrounding nations? Well, let's go north, off to the west, and down to the okay. south. You've got uh, Hezbollah as the inhabitants of Tyre. And I want to answer real quickly in the imprecatory prayer one last thing. You have, in, in the Confederacy, you have habitation conditions. In other words, you have the tents of Edom, meaning refugees, probably the Palestinian refugees. It says Assyria helps the children of Lot, a strong shoulder, shoulder of support. So, in other words, you have a, a bona fide Confederacy. One of the members actually needs help. So, you, just, you can't just chronologically say this is just a bunch of Israel's ancient enemies and an imprecatory imprecatory prayer. Now, who they are, Nathan, if you start up to the north, you've got uh, Lebanon, which would be also where the Hezbollah are. Uh-huh. Then you go northeast, you have Syria. You have Iraq would be part of that too. You have Jordan. You have um, Saudi Arabia. You have the Palestinian refugees. You have the Hamas in the, in the Gaza over there. Uh, I believe Egypt would be involved along with the Muslim Brotherhood as well. These are the countries that share common borders and have terrorist populations within them that have been Israel's most observable enemies since 1948 and even since time immemorial. They've harbored an ancient hatred of Israel all throughout time. And I believe that that war is coming to a conclusion probably very soon. I think it's a prophecy for our time. On that question that I asked you about whether or not this is prophecy, uh, some people actually take the position that the Psalms just are not prophetic in nature. Uh, that they're poetry, that they're inspirational, and that sort of thing. But the Psalms are full of prophecies about the first coming of Jesus, and they are also full of prophecies about the second coming of Jesus. So I, I would strongly argue that the Psalms are prophetic in nature. I would agree with you. Psalm 2, I believe, is prophetic. Oh, um, one of the greatest I, Psalms Psalm in the Bible 20, about the second coming. Yeah, Psalm 22, yeah. obviously the Messianic prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 60, verse 8, talks about Moab will be a washpot, Edom will be uh, where the Lord casts his shoe. I mean, there's quite a few. Um, that, and one of the arguments that is important is that people will say, well, if the Psalms, the people that tend to say the Psalms aren't prophetic, they'll say, so you have to look to the major and minor prophets. They would have had to write about Psalm 83 too. And I point out in my book, 
that I believe there's 150 related verses, even more than Ezekiel 38 and 39, dealing with Psalm 83. So that's inside of the book as yeah, well. I thought that was one of the strongest points you made in your book. Thank yeah, you. Really good. Well, Bill, I'm looking at Second Chronicles 20. Now, skeptics will say that it was fulfilled during King Jehoshaphat's time when he destroyed Moab and Anam. Uh, is that the truth? I mean, was it fulfilled prophetically at that time period? Now, you're saying not, but... They point to this. There could be some parallels, right? Well, that's one of the arguments. It's funny. You had a blogger. You actually sent this to me in 2009, Nathan, and you probably mm-hmm. recall. And I, I wrote an article that has Psalm 83 found final fulfillment. It actually became an appendix in the new book. And one of the bloggers had voiced that concern that this may have been historically fulfilled. But when you study Second Chronicles 20, you realize that in the Hebrew uh, Masoretic text, in the Latin Vulgate, in the Greek Septuagint, and the new modern English translations, that there were really only three or four uh, populations at best that would have fit into that prophecy. And it could have been a partial fulfillment, but a final fulfillment would require all ten populations all ten. to be involved. Okay. Really who was involved for the most part was Jordan and maybe maybe part of Syria. So there was no Saudi Arabia, no Lebanon, no Egypt, no Gaza, no ancient Felicia. So it could not have been a final fulfillment. Well, I think uh, you're right on target with that. I don't see how, how you could possibly argue that that's a fulfillment. It's mainly two population groups that are in Jordan today and not all the groups around Israel. Well, Bill, another critical response to your thesis is that Psalm 83 was fulfilled in the Israeli wars of 1967 and 1948 uh, or even 1967 and 1973. They used different wars, but modern day wars mm-hmm. that have already occurred. What about that? Well, and I address that, of course, in the book as well, David. The, uh, let's take 1967. I think we can eliminate that really quite quickly, much like we eliminated Second Chronicles 20. There were three of the ten populations involved. There was primarily Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. That's right. Not all ten. Okay, no Lebanon. Now, Psalm 48, a little closer. Now, first of all, I think these were partial fulfillments. They, they expressed the attitude of Psalm 83. They wanted to destroy yes. Israel, etc. But I, I believe Psalm 83 is a prophecy in process, and these are partial fulfillments. 1948, you had Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, and Egypt. But you also had, those are the main belligerents, but you also had foreign assistance coming from uh, Pakistan and Sudan and Yemen, and these are not listed in Psalm 83. Mm-hmm. So you, now you've got, you, you've got to, you can't put that, that uh, round hole, that square peg into that round hole because you're throwing in other populations now. Now, the, one of the main reasons I believe this psalm has is, is not found fulfillment yet is that we're told in Psalm 83 verses 9 through 11, Asaph petitions the Lord to deal with the confederacy that's going to come against them and the historical precedent of the Midianites and the Canaanites. And he, he draws our attention back to Judges chapters 4 through 8. At that time in chapters 6 through 8, Gideon had to go through against the Midianites who had oppressed the Israelis for seven years. And, and it tells us that, that Gideon went through with his 300 men and killed 120,000 Midianites. Oreb and Zeb, the princes, were killed by Gideon's men. Zeba and Zalmunna were killed by Gideon himself. And the Midianites ceased to ever oppress Israel again. Same story comes up in verse 10 and 11. He's talking about the Canaanites. And Judges 4 and 5, when Deborah was the prophetess and Barak was the general, the Israeli defense forces of those times, and they defeated the Canaanites who had oppressed them for 20 years, the Israelis. And you'll never find another story of the Canaanites, like the Midianites, oppressing the Israelis again. And I think that's a sound argument that this prophecy is not found fulfillment yet because these Arabs still stand to confederate and oppress Israel. And I think Asaph is saying, stop them so that they can never oppress us again. Okay. What about Ezekiel 38 and 39? That's a future war pretty clearly. But some argue that... that 
when it talks about the other nations that go along with Gog, and, and Dr. Reagan mentioned this a little earlier, how is Psalm 83 not part of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog? Well, we, we briefly touched on this. Different populations participating in it, different motives, different destructions. And, and, and just in summary, you've got the, none of the countries that share, then Ezekiel 38 and 39 share common borders with Israel. And you would have Russia probably involved, Iran, Turkey, Libya. The outer ring. The outer, okay. outer ring of countries. They do not share common borders with Israel, whereas all of Psalm 83 does. And they're coming against a, a different Israel than we experience today. They're coming against an Israel dwelling securely that's very, very prosperous. Because Russia is coming after great bounty and plunder and, and that sort of thing. Now, if you think about it, imagine today Russia is putting this coalition together. If it's, if it's an imminent event like some people teach, because I don't think it's imminent. I think Psalm 83 precedes it. It would be like America going to get enlisting Canada and Mexico to come against the little state of New Jersey. It just seems so um, overwhelming, right? Why would Russia need all these big friends to come against a little Israel? Mm-hmm. That Israel that they're coming against, I don't think is a little Israel anymore. I think that's the Israel that has won a war and defeated their Arab enemies. They can tear down the walls, bars, nor gates. They can stretch out its elbow and annex some land. That's hence the subtitle of the book. Psalm 83, the missing prophecy revealed how Israel becomes the next Mideast superpower. I believe the Israel that Russia comes after is a different Israel than we have today, that is much more wealthy, much more secure, a greater, safer Israel that's freed from Arab torment and, and terror. And, and that's when Russia can put together its Muslim coalition, predominantly Muslim coalition of Iranians and, and Turks, and say, Let's, you can allow Israel to do that, to win that war, to annex territory. And we know Israel annexes territory. They did it in 1967 after they won the Six-Day War. We know King David did it 3,000 years ago. Uh, Joshua did it 3,300 years ago. And I suspect, with all the prophecies I found in the book, that they're going to grab some territory. Obadiah suggests they're going to grab up into southern Lebanon. Jeremiah 49 suggests they're going to grab part of Jordan. Uh, Isaiah 19 suggests they might five cities will speak the language of Canaan, which is Hebrew, in Egypt. So we have, I think Israel is going to expand. I don't think they're going to get all the land that they were promised in Genesis 15, 18, from the river of Egypt to the river Not of Nile. Not until the millennium. Yeah. Not until Christ comes. But I do believe they're going to expand incrementally a little bit, and especially after Psalm 83. Mm-hmm. Well, one other criticism, and that is some say, no, Psalm 83 is part of the, trib, uh, of the Armageddon campaign at the end of the tribulation. What about that? Yes, um, that is one of the final arguments about this. I think that one's probably one of the easier ones to dispel, David. Mm-hmm. If someone understands the tribulation, the seven-year period that is often divided up into two halves, and Revelation 11, Revelation 12, Daniel 7, Daniel 12, talks about you've got a th- uh, th- first three and a half years and a second three and a half years. The first three and a half years are characterized by an Israel that is dwelling in a sense of false security. They, the confirmation of a false covenant has been done in Daniel mm-hmm. 9, 26 and 27. They feel they're dwelling securely, although it's a false sense of security, but they're not fighting off the Arabs. They're not engaged in a massive Arab-Israeli war. They're actually feeling like they're at a point of peace. Matter of fact, they're so complacent, the Israeli Defense Forces, I believe, that they, that they can't even stop the Antichrist from going in at the middle of the tribulation and abominating the temple. Yeah. So that's the first half. Now, the second half 
Even Jesus warns in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 19, when you see the abomination and desolation, which characterizes that midpoint of the tribulation, he's telling the Jewish people to flee immediately. Flee immediately, not fight immediately. Flee immediately, because there's a genocidal attempt that comes upon them, even worse than any of the others before, where we're told in Zechariah 13.8 that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be cut off in all the land. They will not be fighting, in my estimation. They will be fleeing. So, therefore... Psalm 83 cannot be part of the Armageddon campaign. It will probably be precede Ezekiel 38 and 39, be a pre-trib event, probably for our time. And that's what I'm watching for really quite closely. Now, it couldn't have happened between 70 A.D. and 1948 A.D. because the specific mandate is they want to destroy the nation of Israel, that the name of Israel can be remembered no more, and there was no Israel. That's right. So we've already put forward that it couldn't have happened in the Old Testament, and we found out it couldn't happen in the Diaspora. But it can happen now since 1948, but it won't happen in the tribulation. And you feel very strongly that Psalm 83 is likely to be before Gog and Magog. I do, because Israel does not dwell securely right now. And that is a prerequisite in Ezekiel 38, verse 13. Well, Joel Rosenberg feels otherwise, and have you ever discussed this with him? I have not had the opportunity to discuss it with Joel, but Joel's not the only one that feels that way. There are others who believe that Ezekiel 38 is probably a more imminent event. I don't see how you can say that, though, when you consider the fact that it says Israel will be living in peace, and there's just no way that Israel is living in peace. Well, they sort of redefine what I think the Hebrew words Yeshav Fatash mean. They must redefine what peace means. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of them, and I'm not going to speak for Joel, but a lot of them believe that it's a, a sense of security that Israel would develop because they have comfort in their own Israeli defense forces, their ability to defend themselves. I just don't buy it, David. I don't buy it. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy and our interview with Bill Salas. Bill, your second book, Revelation Road, Hope Beyond the Horizon. I really enjoyed it. Interesting format. Can you tell everybody a little bit about it? Well, thank you, Nathan, very much. Yeah, this book was written, it's a unique reading experience because it combines both a novel and a uh, nonfiction commentary. Inside of the novel, I have a family that's concerned their grandson has been birthed in the final generation. Going through Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 and these types of things, how would these things play out? I wanted to paint the end time story into a novel. But I also wanted to support it with the prophecies that go through and, and explain why these, why I'm saying what I'm saying inside of the novel. It's book one of a trilogy that outlines the prophecies in order from now until the second coming of Christ. Revelation Road is the first book, Apocalypse Road is the second book, and Tribulation Road is the third book. And inside of the book, the title is Revelation Road, Hope Beyond the Horizon. I try to introduce the gospel at various points throughout the dialogue in the novel. I also put in, in all of my books, the Psalm 83, the new book as well, how people can get saved. Because the bottom line is, it's about Christ. It is, he is the hope beyond the horizon. Big and powerful things are coming, and I lay them out inside of Revelation Road. Excellent. Well, I must say that I have never seen a book laid out the way that one was with a novel, and yet in the back is a commentary on each chapter in the novel to help you better understand it and understand the uh, uh, the biblical basis of what you're saying in the novel, right? Absolutely. And, you know, there's some people are better reading at novels. Some people like, you like nonfiction books. Some people like novels. Right. Yeah. Well, either way, you can find it there. <laughs> and all these are available on your website, right? ProphecyDepot.com. Okay. Well, Bill, we really appreciate you coming in from California. Uh, come to the great state of Texas. You know, this is God's country here. That's what I've heard you say every time <laughs> on your show. Well, we're glad to have had you, and thanks for coming. Folks, that's our program for this week. And uh, I uh, just hope you'll be back with us next week, same time, same station. 
Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Nathan Jones and myself saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Are you interested in delving even deeper into the amazing prophecy that is Psalm 83? Then you will want to order Bill Salas' newest DVD series, Psalm 83, The Missing Prophecy Revealed. This powerful resource contains three of Bill's most revelatory teachings and comes complete with instructional images and maps. The Psalm 83 prophecy identifies an Arab confederacy that's bent on wiping Israel right off the map. Now, many Bible prophecy experts are predicting that the next prophetic war will include Russia, Iran, Turkey, and several other countries joining to invade Israel according to Ezekiel 38. But Bill Salas shares the multiple reasons why Psalm 83 could truly be the next Mideast news headline. Get your copy today for a donation of $15 or more plus shipping. Just ask for it by name, Psalm 83, The Missing Prophecy Revealed DVD. Call the number you see on the screen, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday Central Time, or order online at lamblion.com. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 